we've been looking at God's story as it's revealed throughout all of Scripture. From the very beginning to the very end. And, of course, you know how it begins, right? In the beginning... Yeah, this is your ninth time. Hopefully you got it by now. In the beginning, God. And in the beginning, God created. He created the heavens and the earth. And in the beginning, in that time of creation, there was perfect harmony. There was no discord. There was no sin. There was nothing messed up. No faulty relationships. Everything was perfect. And then, of course, we get to Genesis chapter 3. And in Genesis chapter 3, we have... The part of the story that we would call the fall, where Adam and Eve sin, they fall away from that harmony. They fall away from all those good and perfect things that was in creation to begin with. And they, they rebel against God in the garden. He gave them one rule. He said, don't eat from this tree. And what did they do? They ate from the tree. And everything for the rest of time was messed up, including each one in this room. And from that time forward, though, what's amazing is right moments after that, when God begins to discuss the consequence of their sin, one of his first responses is that he's going to fix it, that he makes a promise. And he says to the serpent, do you remember? He says, I'm going to send someone. You're going to be at enmity between, there's going to be war between you, your offspring and the woman's offspring. And I'm going to put enmity between the two of you and her offspring uh, you, you'll, you'll bruise his heel, but he'll crush your head. In other words, it was the first promise of good news that God was going to deal with the serpent. He was going to deal with the enemy. He was going to deal with sin. He was going to deal with everything that Adam and Eve and you and I messed up. And one day he's going to restore all of it. It's the first mention of the gospel right away in Genesis chapter 3. God wasted no time to give them good news. And then the rest of scripture all the way up through the gospels is tracing that promise, Right? Through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Joshua and David and all the way through, all the way up to where we meet a man by the name of Jesus. Who wasn't merely a man, but was also God and is also God. 100% man, 100% God. And God's promise that was made was kept in Jesus Christ. And anyone who would repent of their sin and turn to Jesus would be forgiven and made new. And a lot of times we stop the story there and we forget that there's a whole future part of the story yet. And the other thing we forget is that you and I were a part of that story, right? You are and I am. And the choice for us really in the midst of this story is, will we trust in that promise that God made? And will we trust in the promise that's kept through Jesus Christ? Or will we remain apart from it and let ourselves stay back under the curse of the fall And suffer God's wrath for eternity. But for all those who would trust Jesus, who become a Christian, that's what becoming a Christian is, is turning to Jesus. There is some really exciting things planned for you and for me. And that's what we're going to see this morning. As we move to the fourth part of the story, the restoration. And in the restoration, God makes all things new. We get to the part of the story that's yet future, where the whole story comes to its resolution. Have you ever wondered when you watch a story or a movie that in your heart, you kind of want to watch a good story. You want there to be a happy ending. Anybody else do that? Like 
how many of you pick out, you pick out movies and you go to movies that just end horribly? Like those are your favorite movies. Almost no one, right? All of us, we seek out stories. We seek out movies. We seek out books. We seek out poetry. We seek out plays that end in a good way. You ever wonder why that is? We've talked about it before, but I'll say it again. I I think it's because God's written that on your heart. He's written you into his story, and that's how his story goes. And every other story is just an echo of his story. It doesn't quite tell it perfectly, but it tells it in part. And we long for that restoration when God makes all things new. So we long for every story we watch or read or see to have a happy ending. Because God's story has a happy ending. Whether you're a romantic or not, there's just something in you that longs for that. A guy by the name of Michael Goheen writes this. He says, normally when we read uh, novels or stories, when we watch movies, television, or plays, we're meant, at least in part, to forget about our own world and to enter and live in the fictional world for a time. When the story ends, we emerge on the other side to return to our own world and resume our own lives. We've indulged in a kind of escape, he writes, from reality into fiction, perhaps hoping to be informed, enriched, or at least entertained while we've been away for a while. Some of us will seek to carry back some nuggets of truth or wisdom or beauty as souvenirs from the world of artifice, giving us perhaps something new, but admittedly limited insight into an aspect of our lives in the quote-unquote real world. And we long for that because that echoes what really truly is real and what God truly intended and began back in the garden. And what we're going to see this morning is that there's coming a time when God's going to make all things new. When the story will have an incredibly happy ending for those who have trusted Jesus Christ. For instance, there'll be no more sorrow, conflict, or sadness. No more wars, sickness, or death. No more destructive storms or deadly earthquakes or volcanoes or anything else of the sort. Can you imagine that? A lot of us, we can't imagine it because we've never really experienced that. Yet that's exactly what God promises, and that's where we're heading this morning. So let me pray, and then uh, we're going to explore how God is going to make all things new in the end. Let's pray. Father, thanks for Jesus, and thanks for your grace to us through him. Um, I pray this morning, Father, that uh, you would excite our hearts with the, with the truth that you're making all things new. That uh, as we sang before, you're, you'll make everything glorious. As we heard uh, from Wayne and Cheryl, that you're in the midst of doing this even now throughout our world and around the world. Not only here, but in Africa and everywhere else uh, where your spirit is. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd be at work in our hearts to to ignite our hearts with that truth and with that hope that we have in Jesus Christ. I pray against the enemy who uh, loves to take your truth and distort it and twist it and accuse us and tempt us. But instead, Spirit, would you do uh, great things in our hearts, encourage us with your truth and with your joy. I pray this all in Jesus. Amen. C.S. Lewis wrote this. He said, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. 
Well, there's such thing as food. That's why he's hungry. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water, he writes. Man feels sexual pleasure. He says, well, there's such a thing as sex. C.S. Lewis, he continues to write, he says, If I desire within myself a desire that no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And you were. You were made with the image of God written on your heart, with eternity in your heart, waiting for the day when he makes all things new. And the reason is, is because that's the way he originally created it. So what we're seeing in this restoration is God restoring what he originally began and that we messed up. Sin has separated us from God, but God came to the rescue. And this morning in the story, we're going to talk about some of the things of how God makes all things new. And here's the first one. Here's the first of the things that he's promised and that our hearts crave. God has promised a new heaven and a new earth. A new heaven and a new earth. Now we got to think for a second though. If this is a restoration of how it was originally, we got to think back to what was the old heaven and the old earth like, which is the one, by the way, you're living in right now. Well, the old heaven and the old earth God created it, and in the beginning it was created very good, but we messed it up in our sin, correct? But let's think back before our sin to how it was, how God originally created it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he looked at everything after he created all of it, and he said it was very good. Do you remember that? And Adam and Eve, they lived in the garden in perfect harmony and in perfect peace. In Genesis 2, it describes what that garden was like. Moses writes this. He says in Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 4, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it yet to rain on the land. And there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the earth. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. So in the beginning, God creates this garden. That's how he originally created it, and it was perfect. And it's not, again, it's not the garden in your backyard, right? It's a garden like Yellowstone. It's huge. It's massive. It's beautiful. And God puts man in the garden to live and care for it and work it. In verse 15, God took the man, he put him in the garden to Eden to work it, garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And back in Genesis 1, we read in a different account of the creation that God had given Adam and Eve uh, commands of what they ought to do, that they're to subdue the earth and rule over it and be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now, just for the record, I don't think filling the earth is just filling it with children. I think that's part of it, but it's filling it with their creativity, right? It's, it's mining the minerals of the earth and creating metal and building buildings and building cities and be, expressing God's image in their own creativity. Hey, some of you guys are rushers. Maybe we can open those doors and cool it off in here a little bit. That sound good? Anybody else? A little warm? And if I don't see any of the ushers, so how about if you're in the back row and you're by a door, maybe you can grab it even better. But, but it was to fill the earth and to fill it and to... But God had created 
this garden. Well, in the end, what's going to happen is God is going to restore these things. And I want you to think about everything you know about the garden and think about what it will be like in eternity when God makes all things new and restores all of it. Isaiah writes this. He says, for behold, I create, God says, a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Well, if you have your Bible, we're not going to have it on the screen, but turn to Revelation chapter 21. And God's creating a new heaven and a new earth. And what I want you to see is he's recreating what he originally intended in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. A place where there's no sin. A place where God lives freely among his people in perfect relationship and perfect harmony. A place where the earth has been filled with creativity and is filled with people. And it's the restoration, it's the completion of everything he started in Genesis 1 and 2. Revelation starts like this, verse, chapter 21, verse 1. Then, John writes, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, new, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. That was what God had promised back in the Old Testament over and over and over in the Old Covenant. That I'll be your God, you'll be my people and I'll dwell among you. Well, here we get to the point where it happens completely and perfectly. Look at verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things. How's he making them? New. And he also said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. We see God recreating. The, old, the first heaven, the first earth had passed away. And now he's making things new. He's, he's restoring them. He's, see, look, then, then came one of the, or excuse me, verse 6. He said to me, it's done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. He's referring to those who have trusted Jesus Christ. He's referring to those who have truly become a Christian. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars, do you find yourself in that list anywhere? (laughs) Does that scare you a little bit when you read it? And you go, it says, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Well, it depends on whether or not you've trusted Jesus. See, that's the fate we all deserve, isn't it? It's the fate I deserve. But thankfully, I've trusted Jesus Christ, and so now I'm counted among that first group as conqueror. Not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus has done. Where do you find yourself in the list? Have you trusted Jesus? I hope you have, and if not, I hope you will. Verse 9, then came one of the seven angels to John, who had the seven bulls of of the seven plagues, and spoke to me and said, Come, I'll show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Remember, John's talking symbolically. He's just describing what he sees as God reveals it to him, this new heavens and new earth. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. 
It had had a great high wall with 12 gates and at the gates, 12 angels. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the son of Israel were inscribed. And verse 14, on the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the lamb. And the one, verse 15, who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. And the city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city and he measures how large it is. And then he describes what it was made of, of jasper and gold and clear glass and the foundations of ever, adorned with every kind of jewel. And look at verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city. That's similar to, to Eden, isn't it? Do you remember a temple in Eden? Really, in Eden, all of it was a sanctuary before the Lord. Why? Because God walked among the garden with them, right? Well, look what happens in the city. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. There's no temple in heaven. Why? Because God just walks and dwells among us. You don't need to go somewhere to, to meet him and to see him. He's, just, he's with us. We'll be his people. He'll be our God and he'll be in our midst. And look at verse 23. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. Now here's a little difference from the first heaven and earth, isn't it? When God created the moon and the stars and the sun. But this city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives its light. And its lamp is the lamb. We'll see just by the radiance of the glory of Jesus Christ. No darkness, no night. You're like, oh man, I wanted to take a nap in heaven. Well, guess what? You won't be tired. You won't need to. All things are going to be new, including your body. We're going to see here in a moment. By its light will the nations walk. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day. There'll be no night there. Why will its gates never be shut? What happened to Eden after Adam and Eve sinned? God shuts the gates to the garden, right? And he places a cherubim there to guard it so they don't eat from the tree of life. Well, in this city, the gates will never be shut. We're going to find out in a moment as we keep reading, there'll be no sin. There'll be no way to mess it up anymore. God's made all things new. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. There's going to be all kinds of people there. Every color, every tribe, every nation, every language. There's going to be a whole lot of people not like you and not like me in heaven. And it's going to be sweet. And your favorite song today might not even get sung because we're going to be singing all kinds of other great songs. And then we probably won't sing them again because everything's going to be new and we'll just sing a new song the next day. But it'll be your favorite. The next day you'll learn a new one that'll be your favorite. Everything new. But nothing unclean, verse 27, will ever enter it. So there's a difference with the garden too, right? In the garden, the serpent entered and he was more crafty and more shrewd than any other beast the Lord God had made, we read in Genesis 3. And he tempts and he accuses and he lies to us and to Adam and Eve and they sin. Well, (laughs) he's never coming into the city. He's going to be in the lake of fire. Nothing unclean will ever enter it. We'll all be made clean because of Jesus Christ. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. 
See, there's coming a time, loved ones, where God is creating a new heaven and a new earth and everything will be new. Everything will be good. Not only this, but number two, God's promised then a complete, in this, a complete restoration of all creation. He's going to restore all of it. The world you always wanted and that once existed in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, it'll, it'll exist again. Never to be corrupted. Never to be messed up. Think about that. Think about the world you've always wanted. You ever thought about that? I mean, anybody ever plant flowers outside? You plant flowers, is your desire for them to be eaten by the deer? Or to be, you know, shriveled up when drought comes? And never to grow? No, there's, there won't be any corruption of creation. It'll all be perfect. Everything will be beautiful and wonderful and perfect. The new earth will be one of beauty and wonder. Paul writes this. He says, to the, he says no, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared and what God has in store for those who love him, who love Jesus Christ. The, the, your best day today doesn't come close to that. Doesn't come close to when God makes all things new. There'll be an absence of, of any kind of disaster. There'll be perfect shalom or peace everywhere and in everything. Perfect wholeness, perfect completeness. Do you long for that? Here's a quote I think is good. In a thousand ways... God will gather what's scattered and rebuild what's broken and restore what's been emptied out by centuries of waste and fraud in a thousand ways. I was leading the, helping teach the women's Bible study this fall and teaching them, we've been going through how to study God's word on your own, right? And this week we were looking at a passage in 1 Thessalonians that, remember that ladies were talking about uh, uh, the time, Paul Paul assures them that those who've fallen asleep aren't going to miss out on Jesus' return in First Thessalonians, uh, towards the end of the book. And one of the questions that came up was, because um, we were just thinking about some of these things and thinking about heaven and what that's going to be like at Jesus' return. And somebody made the comment, you know, I, I heard one time that we're not going to know anybody in heaven. But I just don't think that's true because I think when we look at heaven, we need to look to the garden and say, how did God originally create it? What was his original intent that we messed up in our sin? And that's what he's going to totally restore and fulfill in heaven. So Adam and Eve knew each other. Guess what? I think we'll know each other in heaven. Adam and Eve had perfect relationship. Guess what? We're going to have perfect relationship and friendship in heaven. No disagreements, no strife of any kind. Adam and Eve had perfect relationship with God. Guess what? In heaven, perfect relationship. 24-hour access to, to Jesus Christ himself. It'll be fantastic. And all of creation, everything about it will be restored. A handful of scriptures here for you that talk about this. In Acts 3, uh, Peter's preaching. He says, repent, therefore, turn back that your sins might be blotted out. So that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about God, about which God spoke about by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. 
In Romans, Paul writes, he says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons and the redemption of our bodies. You're going to get a new body in heaven. I'm going to look good in heaven. I'm not going to have to watch what I eat. And I'm going to have a great, I'm going to have like the metabolism of a five-year-old running around the house. And it's going to be fantastic. Like think about, you're going to have a new body. Everything that aches and hurts, it's going to be restored. The redemption even of our bodies, of all creation, guys. Isaiah writes it like this. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. Any of you have pets at home that your kids go out and play with? Would you let them out with the lion? I don't know if there's lions around where you guys will be in Africa, Wayne, Cheryl. But I'm guessing if there, I don't know if there are in that part of Africa. I don't know Africa real well. But probably, you're probably not going to go out and play with them. Probably not going to go out and wrestle, rump around. What? What Isaiah is writing here is a vision where there's perfect harmony between all of creation. There's no need to fear things like that because nothing will be corrupted. The wolf will dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child will lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. Give your little baby a snake to play with. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den, and they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Think as as big as the oceans are, the waters that cover the sea, that's the full fullness of the knowledge and experience of the Lord Jesus will cover the earth in that day. And it's not just creation, but you need to know God's promised, maybe specifically for you, this would be most encouraging, he's promised a complete restoration of humanity. Do you remember after we talked about the part of the story where Adam and Eve fall in sin, we got to this point of need, where there was a need spiritually and relationally and emotionally and all kinds of great need because of our sin. What we're going to see is in when God makes all things new, he's going to meet every one of those needs. First off, we're going to be restored spiritually. See, every person needs to be reconciled by God and forgiven of sin. But at Jesus' return, when he makes all things new, you'll be complete. You won't have that need anymore. It's been accomplished for you on the cross, and you really don't have that need now, but one day you're going to experience it in its full. You're going to see Jesus as he really is. John writes that he says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, and Jesus appears, we'll be like him because we shall see him as he is. When Paul's writing about love in 1 Corinthians, he's actually writing about the church and spiritual gifts, and he talks about how love is really the greatest thing to pursue. He says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12, but then we'll see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I'll know fully, even as I have been fully known. 
We're going to be restored spiritually in perfect relationship with God. Not only this, as I mentioned already, you'll be restored physically. All of humanity will be restored physically. Every person, we need freedom from physical suffering and death. Well, guess what? In the end, there'll be no more physical suffering, no more death. I've been hanging drywall in my basement this week. My body's sore because I'm out of shape. And my wife's pregnant. She's looking at me right now going, your body's sore. (laughs) What are you talking about? But you know what? There'll be a day where I won't be. There'll be a day where my body doesn't slowly fade away. And it'll be new. I'll be restored physically from physical suffering and from death. The old hymn goes, what a day that will be, right? John writes about it like this. We've already read it, but Revelation 21, 4 and 5, he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, no more crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, Write this down. These things are trustworthy. These things are true. You'll be restored. Spiritually, physically, you'll also be restored socially. There'll be restoration socially where harmony will be restored in relationships and in this world. We talked about this as being uh, having need relationally, but we're just saying it socially this time. If you need any clue that we need restoration and for harmony to be restored even socially, look at the election, right? Look at guys argue on stage during a debate. It's like, man, I wish Jesus was up there so we could vote for him. Wouldn't that be good? Well, guess what? One day things will be restored socially and you won't have to vote for him. He's just going to come down and say, hey, I'm king. Let's go. Here we go. And he's going to sit on his throne and things will be perfect. All the social programs we have today, you know what that is? Is It's a longing in our hearts to have things as they will be when Jesus returns. And as it was back in Genesis 1 and 2 when things are perfect. And they're a faint echo of what Jesus is going to do. And he's going to restore things perfectly. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, Revelation chapter 7, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were clothed in white robes because of what the Lamb had done for them. And with palm branches in their hands. Does that sound familiar? A picture where there's Jesus and people with palm branches? Well, what would happen in biblical times is when, when a king would enter in after a victorious battle or whatever else, or, or some kind of leader, they'd, they'd have these palm branches and they'd lay them down on the ground and really they'd, they'd kind of slap them, make all kinds of noise in this big triumphal entry. And we read about Jesus coming in in his first triumphal entry on a colt, right? And that's what they're expecting, that he's going to set up his kingdom. Well, now we get fast forward. That's exactly what Jesus is about to do. And they have their palms because the one who's conquered, he, he's coming to set up shop. And it's going to be fantastic. And crying out with a loud voice, not Hosanna, save us now, but no, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's going to be a fun Palm Sunday when Jesus returns and restores all things socially, but not just spiritually, physically, and socially, but emotionally, humanity will be restored. You'll be freed from every type of self-condemnation, every type of guilt, every type of shame. It'll be no more. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, John writes, and 
He will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. We read already, there'll be, death shall be no more, no more mourning. There's no more mourning, guess what? There's no more shame, there's no more guilt, there's no more even remembrance, in my opinion, of some of those things. No crying, no pain anymore. The former things, they've passed away. You'll be restored. And then restored morally. Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's not male or female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. There's no racial divide, no racism. There's no socioeconomic divide. There's no good versus bad. It's, it's all perfectly restored with Jesus as king. Loved ones, God never meant for us to have any of those deficits. Spiritually, physically, emotionally, mentally, socially, relationally. But because of our sin, those are the consequences of our sin. Yet God, in his goodness, is going to restore all things to how they were. Not because of my goodness, not because of your goodness, but totally because of his in Jesus Christ. Michael Wilcock writes this in writing about this. He says, all that is truly good and beautiful in this world will reappear in the new heaven and the new earth, purified and enhanced in its perfect setting, just as its its maker intended for it. And nothing of real value is lost. I don't know what your week's been like. I don't know what your week's going to be like. I don't know what your year's been like. I don't know what the next year's going to be like for you. But I do know there's coming a day when Jesus is going to return. And everything will be made new. And in fact, as Paul writes it, um, we have this hope because, because God works all things together for the good. You might just add in your notes, in the end, For those who love him, for all those who are called according to his purpose, right? And here's the truth. As you look to that, I'll end with this thought and then we'll take our offering. We'll sing. We'll call it a morning. But if you're on this earth and you've trusted Jesus Christ, you're free from condemnation. You're free from guilt. You're free from shame eternally. And you're with Jesus. And the truth is that that where you stand and where you're at on this earth, this this life is as close to hell as you will ever get. But the opposite is also true. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, if you've never repented of your sin, this is as close to heaven as you'll ever get. And I plead with you, in Jesus' name, as his ambassador, as if he himself were saying it to you, turn to him and trust him. Repent of your sin and give your life to Jesus Christ because he will make you new. And that's his promise and he keeps everyone. Let's pray. Father, thanks for Jesus and thanks for your grace to us through him. Um, I pray this morning that uh, as we leave, as we go about our lives, uh, that you'd remind us of what you're doing. 
you'd remind us of the story that we're a part of, that, um, that you truly will one day make all things new and that that hope uh, can motivate our lives to obedience and to joy, uh, knowing that this world truly isn't our home. Thank you for revealing that to us through your word. And I pray that uh, as we go about our lives, we point other people to that truth, that we'd introduce them to the fact that they're part of this story as well, that uh, just as we've repented, they need to repent because Jesus is so good and he promises new life and he promises good things to those who would trust him. So, Father, I pray for those who uh, hear my voice that have never trusted you, that today might be the day they would, that they'd be made new, uh, that they'd become a new creation in Christ, that the old for them would pass away and the new would come. Spirit, you can do that, you alone, and I pray today that you might in the hearts of those who, who need Jesus. God, our time now as we give Jesus back to you, just as you gave to us, and um, we love you. We thank you for your work on the cross, and we pray all this through you, Jesus our Savior. Amen.